there was this kind of golden rule, this golden metric that every investor and therefore startup was really interested in, which was how much time a day does a user spend with your product? From that thought, we kind of said, well, gee, if I'm going to make some new smartphone app that's fighting for one more hour of your time on a screen, could that possibly make me any happier? Or in my personal life, am I finding myself habitually overwhelmed by my smartphone? What if we were to take a break from smartphones, you know, and kind of regain some of that conscious and intentional separation? And so getting time back is definitely the thing that we hear the most universally, like either as the motivator for trying the light phone, but definitely as the kind of like side effect. Most people are averaging three plus hours a day of screen time. You know, there's a lot you can do with that time, but we can't seem to find the time. And I think that's really where the value of the light phone can kind of come in is here's three more hours if you want them. Hello and welcome to New Ways, a show that explores innovative solutions to the complex challenges of our rapidly changing world. I'm your host, Russell Baker, and each episode we sit down with a diverse cast of changemakers to unpack how they are helping to build a better tomorrow today. Now, if you were to design the ultimate product or service, how would you measure its success? The most common answers would likely be along the lines of how much money it made or how much time people spent using it. But there's another important metric that is often overlooked, and that's the feeling your audience experiences from using your product. I know, shifting the focus from something that benefits the company to something that benefits the user sounds like a bit of a radical strategy, but that's exactly the mindset that today's guest built his company upon. On today's show, I'm joined by Joe Hollier, an artist turned designer and now co-founder of Light, a tech startup that produces the Light Phone, a minimalist device designed to foster digital disconnection. And it's that artistic lens that makes today's conversation so special. Now, for those who might be unfamiliar with the device, let me explain. The Light Phone is about the size of a credit card and features an e-ink display. But this isn't just a smaller and lighter version of an iPhone or Android device. Sure, it's a phone that does phone things, like making calls and sending text messages, pairing with Bluetooth, becoming hotspot, you know, all that good stuff. Plus, there's some fundamental utilities, like a calculator, directions, music, and of course an alarm clock. But it's actually the purposeful absence of things that is the real story here. Joe and I spoke at length about the motivation behind creating a product that was designed to be used intentionally or, as he puts it, as little as possible, and how the most valuable feature of the light phone, now in its second generation, was actually not on the device at all. A second ago, I mentioned value, and that's a theme that we kept returning to, and how interrogating things in life that seem static could actually lead to creative and value-filled opportunities, from the early days where Joe questioned the role of design and why it wasn't given more importance when founding companies and conceptualizing products, through to the development of the light phone, questioning consumer behavior, and the role of technology in his own life. We spoke about the importance of user privacy, the company's plans for the future, how they are tackling e-waste and sustainability, and why they, unlike many of their contemporaries, decided to shun planned obsolescence and instead embrace what I like to call planned appreciation. 
by continuing to push out new features to the phone so many years after launch. And we also got into the company's super creative marketing campaign to try and recruit Tim Cook, CEO of Apple. But more on that a bit later. This is a conversation for anyone who's interested in rethinking their relationship with technology, who's curious about designing solutions that are human-centric, or just looking to regain more time in their day. Because in our hyper-connected, always-on world, where every app and service is vying for your attention, it can be difficult to set effective boundaries that empower us to disconnect and get back to living life. I hope today's episode can help you start to think about those boundaries and reclaim more of your time. And now, here's my conversation with Joe Hollier, co-founder of Light. Joe, welcome to New Ways. Hello, and yeah, thanks for having me. Just out of interest, where in the world does the show find you today? I am in my apartment in Brooklyn, New York, but we're here based in Brooklyn as well as a company. A city known for its art and creativity, which actually tees up my first question quite nicely. For several years now, you and the team at Light have been making these uniquely discreet phones with super practical software. One of the most creative pieces of technology and artistic product design I've ever seen. But I'm curious to know, where did the spark come from to embark on such an ambitious project? What's the story behind Light? Yeah, so it was almost 10 years ago now, back in 2014, that Google, ironically, of all companies, had an experimental incubator for designers. And they had this kind of amazing hypothesis that resonated, which was that designers should be at the founding tables of companies and that you know, design as a lens, not just a kind of like branding that you wrap on top of a product, but as a fundamental part of a company that, you know, is built around empathy and actually solving problems for humans from a human-centered perspective. So, you know, I kind of said, wow, great, that sounds amazing. And then as the program went on, we were fortunate to meet so many founders of companies, different investors, and just thought leaders in the space. And it was quite quickly made aware to us that they really expected us to think of ideas for smartphone apps. That's really where all of the new startups were coming as you know platforms, websites, and mo- most importantly, smartphone applications. And in thinking about smartphone applications, we were taught you know different stories of founders and how they kind of found their niche with their product. And something we realized was that there was this kind of golden rule, this golden metric that every investor and therefore startup was really interested in, which was how much time a day does a user spend with your product? From that thought, we kind of said, well, gee, if I'm going to make some new smartphone app that's fighting for one more hour of your time on a screen, like, could that possibly make me any happier? Or in my personal life, am I finding myself habitually overwhelmed by my smartphone and the fact that, you know, I checked an email while I was on the beach or, you know, seeing this notification when I'm in line for the bathroom. And I just kind of said, you know, what if we were to take a break from smartphones, you know, and kind of regain some of that conscious and intentional separation. And so that was really the hypothesis for the light phone was, you know, sort of like how the internet used to live in one computer and my parents, you know, study upstairs when it was, you know, modems and AOL instant messenger days. It was a very clear divide between online and offline. And I think the smartphone really made it so ubiquitous in a way 
that had unintended consequences. And I wanted as a kind of artist to remind people that, hey, you know, we weren't always so hyper connected. And actually, you know, we can take a break. It's not necessarily about ditching technology altogether, but to find these moments where maybe you don't need the internet and just the phone will bring you the peace of mind that you have, you know, a phone. I think we can all agree emergencies and whatnot. We do like that peace of mind of having a phone, but, you know, maybe we don't need the entire computer in addition to the phone always. It's interesting that you are faced with this sort of universally accepted metric, definition of success, high user engagement, backed by some seriously loud and authoritative voices like Google. And yet you decided to question, well, the core of that. And just like you said, design should be at the core when considering the actual human using these products and services. It very much sounds like human-centered design, which is an approach that I'm quite big on as well. Okay, so now you're thinking we should be taking things back to an earlier time. Less, though, in terms of technology itself, but more our relationship with technology, which I suppose was defined or constrained back then by the state of tech. And that's how it used to be, or at least how I remember growing up. You had this dedicated computer room in the house, usually shared by the family, where you know, you'd go to do computer things or, or jump on the web. But now, I suppose, that computer room is in your pocket with you at all times, constantly sending and receiving information. And unlike that static room of years gone by, it will actively pull you back in to engaging with it. Then engaging, there's that word again, through notifications and things of that nature. Yeah, definitely. I, I think what like, I found myself checking email before I you know, get out of my bed to brush my teeth, which I'm sure it's not that uncommon, you know, checking some social media or news. And I just felt like that wasn't how I wanted to be starting my day. That wasn't, you know, an intentional choice. Like, why am I checking work when I haven't even woken up and had a cup of coffee yet? So, you know, I just found it so invasive and wanted to kind of set my own boundaries and encourage others to set their own boundaries, being that they would all kind of be unique to each person too. All right. So you've got this idea of really challenging both what the value proposition and measure of success should be for an app or a piece of technology, a strategy for digital disconnection. How do you go about testing that hypothesis? And what did that process look like? You know, really early in that hypothesis, we basically started testing it by giving people flip phones. I should mention in this program, I met my partner, Kaiway, a co-founder of Light. We both kind of had a similar synergy, I want to say, against smartphone apps or just, you know, I guess, you know, hesitation and, and some degree of, yeah, skepticism about that direction that, you know, more tech was inherently a good thing. And so the two of us, we started either using flip phones ourselves for an evening or maybe even a whole weekend or, you know, more importantly, testing with about two dozen different users. And it was really amazing to see that just by giving people that freedom away from the internet, they were having these wonderful experiences. And so that kind of gave us our North Star kind of philosophy, which we say designed to be used as little as possible. We really realized that the value of our phone wasn't us creating some new technological advancement, but rather, you know, intentionally simplifying the device to the almost the bare minimum, especially with the, the original light phone, which only made phone calls. Going back to something you said there, a motive that you said you shared with your co-founder, Kaiwei, about more tech not always being inherently a good thing. 
When we look then at the light phone, is it fair to say that this is a case of creating tech to actually help solve the problems brought on by other tech? Yeah, I mean, I'm hesitant to say solves it because there's definitely a lot of user will required. And, you know, the light phone is maybe a catalyst to a potential solution for someone like finding their own balance. But ultimately, it, you know, it's on the user to, you know, when you use a light phone to then not find yourself, you know, distracted in other ways or, or you know, it's, I guess I just mean that it's not a magic pill. You don't buy a light phone and all temptations immediately cease. It's, you know, like fighting any quote unquote addiction. You know, there is some friction using a light phone. There, there's inherently friction in not having a smartphone. <clears throat> you know, the world's moving towards QR codes and, you know, being able to look something up on the fly. And, you know, some of these things we get used to on the smartphone that the light phone kind of says, sorry, can't do that. And I'm glad you brought up the example of QR codes. So full disclosure, I'm a Lightphone 2 user and have been since it launched several years back. I use the device almost daily, especially, you know, when going on outings or when I want to take as little as possible. Though, during the height of the pandemic, at least here in Australia, we used a QR code system for checking into places to help monitor the spread of the virus. And at that time, I had no choice but to take another device with me, one with a QR code scanner, and of course, other distracting things like email. In terms of the feature set on the light phone, I'm curious to know what makes the cut. Because when you look at the device, it's essential hardware, essential apps, or rather tools. What's the decision-making framework for deciding what gets added to the device and what you choose to omit? What's that conversation look like? Yeah, it's it's definitely a really interesting conversation. And I think there's some sort of obvious things that feel very utility-based, like an alarm or a calculator, which are kind of a no-brainer that, yes, this is useful if I want to add it to my phone, but you know, probably never going to be a distraction. And then there's some tools that we've introduced, like Podcast Player, that sit a little bit more on a on a on a fence of this could be considered a distraction, but there is obviously some utility or benefit to, you know, being able to have some of that entertainment and information with you. And I think what we've really tried to do in those cases is design the tools to be used really intentionally. So one thing about the light phone is that you have to set it up on the dashboard website, which already creates one layer of kind of separation that you can't just tinker with the device because you're bored. You can't look up podcasts. You kind of have to intentionally choose the few podcasts that you want ahead of time so that while you're out and about, you're not, you know, just finding yourself in some hole. And I think when we draw red lines of things that the phone will never have, we think a lot about infinite feeds, whether that's clickbait news or, you know, social media, some form of advertising-based feed, but even something like email that you'd find yourself checking and checking again. So there's no internet browser, there's no email, there's no social media or news. Something like email is actually kind of interesting because obviously for most of us, it's a big part of our day-to-day work life, especially here at Lightphone. You know, email is what I'm spending many hours a day doing for the most part. And in one way, you can argue that that's, you know, utility and work and productivity. But I think we also need to balance out that this is an incredibly, incredibly small phone with an e-ink screen that would never be good for doing email. Even if we felt, you know, philosophically it made sense, which, you know, 
I do have my reservations about how much I would find myself checking and checking. And for me, not having email on the phone has been actually my favorite feature or, you know, value add because I, I've become very intentional with email on my laptop. And there's this wonderful moment when I close my laptop and I realize that I'm done checking email for the time being. And, you know, obviously my colleagues and my family know that if they need to reach me urgently, I probably won't have email on me and it's probably worth phone call or text. So yeah, I guess that's a long-winded way of saying, you know, anything utility-based, we definitely feel makes sense on the phone. Things like directions, having a hotspot option, you know, in the future, maybe things like weather or, or the likes. But, you know, really it's about being a phone, calls and text, and hopefully using the phone as little as possible. So nothing that you'd find yourself unnecessarily checking the device for. Interesting. So your favorite feature isn't even on the phone. And by virtue of it not being there, that actually adds value to your life. Hmm. And just to stay on email, if we presume for a moment that people at light are all rocking light phones, which are devices without email or instant messaging, I wonder then, what is the communication culture like at the company? Does that have an impact in terms of, are people more likely to call each other rather than reach for a secondary device, especially when, as you said, you've shut down the laptop or computer for the day? Yeah, I mean, I would say, first and foremost, we definitely try to embody the ethos and really, really respect people's time off so that, you know, when they're not on the clock, you know, unless it's incredibly urgent, we try our best to not reach them at all. We do do a lot of video calls, I'd say, probably more than even phone calls on the light phone itself. I mean, Kaiway and I probably call a lot between each other, you know, obviously quite close at this point. But with the rest of the team, there's a lot more, you know, Slack, email and video calls, I'd say, especially since the pandemic, we've become more remote as a team as well. You know, some of our team have moved throughout the country or to other countries. So we are a little bit more international now. And, you know, video calls especially has been good because you get some degree of FaceTime. That is something we've seen right across the board. More companies leaning on communications tech to help facilitate the growing movement toward distributed and, and remote teams. With all that data flying around though, and, and this is especially true of enterprises, people are becoming more and more concerned with privacy and security, of making sure their data doesn't fall into the wrong hands or be abused by advertisers. When we look at the light phone, there's no social media, there's no internet browser, no email, no photos. Is this the ultimate device for users who do value their privacy? Is there anything holding you back from positioning it that way as one of the more you know, unique selling points? Yeah, I think when it comes to privacy, sometimes I'm hesitant to go as far as saying the ultimate device in the sense that we don't have a ton of proprietary technology, things like encrypted messaging we, we don't offer. So text or sent through the normal kind of carrier channels and, you know, susceptible to N NSA here in the US and, you know, I'm sure other surveillance elsewhere. But I think to your point, inherently, because our device has so much less personal information, you know, there's not email on it. There's no photo library. It's not following your location. And we have no third party apps, which are the things that are most typically fighting for data, even if it seems, you know, not like the app's business model, there's a very good chance the app is 
collecting as much data as will allow it because there's just so much money in, in data. So on that hand, the Light Phone is quite a private phone because inherently there's just less information on it, but also there's no third parties that are able to get it. But when it comes to something like messaging, like Signal would be a much more private messaging platform. And it may be possible that we're able to introduce some like more braggable features like that in the future. But for the time being, it's really the benefit is that there's just so much less information on the device and there's no one prying for it in that kind of commercial sense. So not a good target for hackers or thieves in general, right? Because aside from the the novelty of the device, which I must admit, I've had a fair few people remark when they see it, you know, whoa, what is that? Is that, you know, is that a phone? But would-be thieves are not going to be getting their hands on a 100 megapixel camera or access to any sort of camera roll or the user's pictures and video if they try and get their physical or digital hands on this device. Could be a good deterrent, actually. Yeah, I'm sure. And it's not like you'd be able to steal someone's entire identity, I'd imagine, with just their light phone, where if someone got into your smartphone, you know, unfortunately, banking apps and location and just yeah there's just so much more information i don't know this guy likes to set five alarm clocks i think that's about (laughs) the level of information you're going to get there to an earlier point you made though about being intentional with the use of the phone itself when i first got the device you know i remember being really excited and wanting to check out everything on the phone i jumped on the portal set it all up did the the quick whip around the operating system to see all the features and, and this was a few years back, so there were even less features or tools available. And it was maybe five, ten minutes, and I thought, okay, that's it. I've looked at literally every setting on the device. And then it really did click. You're not meant to be sitting on this phone for an extended period of time. That's quite a common thing I hear. You know, people are so excited, they make a test call, and then it's like, now what? And that's the moment I was kind of speaking to earlier where it becomes on the user. Some people in that moment get really anxious and find themselves wanting to go back to the smartphone and to find excuses to go back to the smartphone. But if in that moment you're able to lean into the uncomfort of not, you know, just being able to scroll away boredom or whatever thoughts might come, it can have some really profound impacts on users. Circling back to the features and tools, how is that being received by the Lightphone community? Do you get feedback from users in terms of we you know, really wish it had or didn't have X, Y, or Z tool? Is there a most sought after feature that you're currently considering? Coming from your crowdsourced origins, could you speak to the role of community feedback in orientating that decision-making and design process? Yeah, no, that's a great question. So when we launched the Lightphone 2, we were coming from the original Lightphone, which only made phone calls and only stored nine speed dials. So in a way, even introducing text messaging and a contact book started to feel like, whoa, is this going to just fumble into a smartphone? But when we launched Lightphone 2, we, like the previous phone, did so with crowdfunding, using a crowdfunding website. And it took us about 18 months from launching that to actually begin shipping and delivering the phones to those users. And in that 18 months, we were able to really learn a lot about those users or even prospective users who didn't back because it was missing X, Y, or Z, or, you know, we we said we probably were never going to do X, Y, or Z. And that was a really great learning because I think 
a lot of people agree like, yeah, I'd love a phone with just a few things, but those few things could be drastically different from user to user. And I think throughout the entire process, we've relied pretty heavily on user surveys. I'm sure maybe you've filled one of our surveys out over the years. And that has been a really good thing for helping us guide our limited resources in terms of prioritizing which of these features we'll work on next. Because we're such a small team, when we started shipping the phone, it actually only had an alarm and some of the basic phone functionality. And as years go by, we were able to roll out these tools, uh, as we call them, uh, like directions, music, notes tool. But the, the order of those tools and even just you know other optimizations in the OS, we've relied a lot on user feedback. And that's been so great. And I think our users feel really heard because of that. And also, I think it helps with the patience required as it takes time for us to roll these features out by us listening and always kind of being there to tell people, you know, where we're at or what we're working on next, even if it's not a great answer, like, hey, yeah, we're working on it, but it might take six months. At least they're hearing it from a human and not some, you know, copy and paste auto, you know, answer robot machine. So users feedback has been, you know, huge for us. I think we also made the phone so that each tool is optional and you have to intentionally go to this website, the dashboard website I was referring to, to install them. So, you know, out of the gate, the phone only has the alarm, which you can also remove on the dashboard. But if you're never going to use directions or notes, we don't want you to ever see it on your phone, which we think is really important. So as we roll out more features, you know, it's great that it could add utility to some users, but we're always kind of also hinting at like, maybe less is more with a phone like this. And then I think when it comes to like the most requested features that we don't currently have, there's a couple of camps. I think we hear a lot about music streaming. Right now there's a music player, but it's sort of like an old iPod, an MP3 player where you'd upload some songs and then they sync wirelessly to the the phone in a sort of single playlist. But users have gotten really used to things like Spotify probably is the one we hear the most. And, you know, we're actually open to a light Spotify tool. It's just some of those things require deep collaboration and cooperation from Spotify. But being such a small player as, you know, Lightphone team, it's been hard to kind of move the needle with some of those. A few other features we hear about a lot are things like WhatsApp or a way to internationally text, be it Signal or WhatsApp or Telegram, some of those platforms. So that's something else we're kind of open to and seeing what might work. I would say WhatsApp is probably one that we're more hesitant on because of the meta and the user privacy, which you know is really, really important to us. Some, someone like Signal is much more aligned in that regard. And we also hear things about the hardware, like I wish it was a little bit bigger or I wish it had a camera or USB-C or NFC is another one we hear about like for, for mobile payments. So there's kind of a mix of those things. And of course, there's things we hear about that like wouldn't make sense on the phone, like the email. We hear about e-reader sometime, which philosophically, like I think that's a great idea. We're huge book fans. But again, it just seems like such a small device for reading any sort of long form copy. It's like, you know, the screen itself is smaller than a credit card. So in our minds, it just doesn't seem like it'd be a great experience. Yeah. 
So, you know, that's like an example of a feature that's aligned, but just doesn't make sense. But maybe a future version of the phone, if it's different size, some of those things might make sense. Maybe we would consider a camera in the future. So we're open to these things, but it's, you know, it takes time and we definitely don't want to overpromise that any of them will come in any immediate time. I'm imagining a light phone XL. Slightly larger screen, extra sensor or two, maybe QR functionality, maybe just a touch taller, but not getting into phablet territory, as you've seen with modern device size yeah, creeping up over six inches. That could actually be a really sweet spot to play in, considering that there aren't that many sub six or sub five inch devices that are friendly to smaller hands and, and pockets these days. In theory, perhaps, but even the QR scanner gets really tricky. Um, and I think we're still probably hesitant to introduce that because then that's opening a browser and all that can potentially be exploited. We've talked about the philosophy behind Lightphone and, and going light. I'm curious to know what that looks like for you, Joe. What's your everyday carry look like? Well, I definitely have only been using a Lightphone for about five years now since we basically got the very first prototypes kind of guinea pig number one. But again, I'm here on my laptop. So, you know, I spend a good chunk of my day very much on screens. But I love that when I'm out and about, I feel very free to just have my light phone. And then in my personal life, I actually have a different computer that doesn't have any email on it. That's just for Joe's art and music, you know, libraries and process of making them. And so, you know, I've kind of started even separating my devices further. It's not just computer and phone. I have my work computer and a personal computer so that on the weekend, if I am, you know, trying to get away from the light phone business side of things, and I, you know, still maybe want to check something, I have my other computer. And I think it's probably, you know, a slightly different scenario for everyone, even on our team. I know Kaiway has a little iPad he really likes. And he'll, you know, maybe do a Skype at a cafe from the hotspot on the light phone if he needs to do a video call and things like that. And we have a lot of artists that use the light phone that need social media, ironically, to promote themselves. And so they'll, you know, also use a laptop or a tablet in these ways, maybe leaving it at their art studio or their music studio, maybe planning some of the posts ahead of time or just, you know, being able to post the thing, but not necessarily have that tied into their actual phone. Other users have two phones and actually love having like a work phone number that they give to clients and whatnot. You know, like thinking of some people I've met that were like salon owners or, you know, tattoo artists that, you know, they have this phone for appointments and whatnot, and they can forward the calls to their light phone in case, you know, there was an emergency, but they can leave the work at work and, you know, kind of get some more of that separation of work and play a little bit. It sounds like in those examples, it's just a continuation of the philosophy using technology with intent. Something I've noticed, and it's, it's kind of ironic considering the extra friction, as you mentioned, of not having a camera or social media on the device, but that users are reaching for other devices to actively promote that they're using the light phone, taking photos or videos and posting that to social media. Was that a consideration or a concern in terms of how will we reach people on these social channels? And have you been surprised then that people are intentionally making it be known on social media platforms that they are using the light phone? No, I would say, I mean, for one 
hand, like we definitely rely on social media as a huge channel for us to meet new customers, which, you know, comes off as ironic to a lot of people who come across our social media pages. But I think it makes a lot of sense that for us, you know, where would people maybe be scrolling away on a smartphone looking for something like the light phone other than social media? And then I think seeing individuals and others post about it, it's, it's, I think there's some, you know, commitment that gets formed when you make an announcement like that publicly. It's, it's, you know, solidifying this commitment to something and it's a lifestyle choice, a value choice in a way that people are proud to broadcast in the same way that, you know, people broadcast some of their other values. So I wouldn't say it was a huge surprise. I mean, it is a little funny in ways to think that people are taking photos of their light phone to post on social media at times. But I think much more often than posting it to your earlier comment, it's them just using it day to day and someone saying, hey, what the heck is that thing? That's a phone. That's really, I mean, that's how we've grown as a company is through that kind of word of mouth grassroots, if you want to call it that, marketing or, or lack of marketing. And that's been super cool to see that grow. When we talk to users, how'd you hear about the light phone? Well, six months ago, I saw this guy with it and I couldn't stop thinking about it. And I do think there is a lot longer of a lead time before someone commits to a light phone because you really have to think through what inconveniences and functionality and is it going to work with my carrier and how am I going to do this and what about that? So there is, you know, it's not just buying a new pair of shoes in a different color. It's, yeah, I guess a lifestyle change. But it, like other lifestyle changes, gym memberships, perhaps it does require the user to commit. And just because they buy the phone doesn't mean that they're going to open it and set it up and, you know, stick with it and, and actually use it. You know, you can buy a blender, but until you start buying all the veggies to make the healthier smoothies, you know, if you're still just going through the drive through and getting fast food, even if you bought the blender, it's not really, it, it does take some, you know, user effort. I like that example of the gym membership in that the more you use it, the more you get out of it. But just having it won't get your muscles or help you to lose weight. It's an active process. In the same way that owning the light phone won't just unlock some level of mental clarity. You've got to actively integrate it into your daily life. In that way, then, the light phone does feel different to how the other big tech players, the, the giants playing in the phone industry, seem to position their devices. For them, it feels like it's all about the bells and whistles. That's how they add value. But with the light phone, it feels more like, and you touched on this before with your email example, there's an emphasis on what's not here. And in that way, less things vying for your precious and finite time. You know, you can keep your extra megapixels because getting more time back each day feels like probably the best feature or value proposition I can think of. Getting time back is definitely the thing that we hear the most universally, like either as the motivator for trying the light phone, but definitely as the kind of like side effect is that, you know, if you're able to take advantage of it, you know, I think most people are averaging three plus hours a day of screen time. You know, there's a lot you can do with that time. And there's probably a lot of things we all want to be doing more of, but we can't seem to find the time. And I think that's really where the value of the light phone can kind of come in is here's three more hours if you want them. 
Earlier, we spoke about communication, users, community, and innovative thinking. I want to bring all of that together and actually talk about a a really creative, bold, and innovative strategy you use to communicate your message of going light to an audience of just one person, a Mr. Tim Cook, CEO of Apple. Now, for those who may not be familiar with this campaign, I'm going to play a snippet of it for context. Meet the Life Phone. Doesn't have email or social media or even a camera. It's a phone away from your phone, a dumb phone, if you will. And to launch it with almost no money, rather than try to convince millions of people to buy a life phone, we thought, what if we found the one person who needs it most? If I'm looking at the device more than I'm looking into someone's eyes, I'm doing the wrong thing. Someone who is buried under a pile of notifications. Do I really need to be getting thousands of notifications a day? Someone searching for a solution. So the CEO of Apple is saying, don't pick up your phone as much? Yeah. Someone like Apple CEO, Tim Cook. So we created a campaign with a target of one. We don't want people using their phones all the time. First, we wrote him a note, a 40-foot one, that was just down the street from his office. Dear Tim, you said, We don't want people using their phones all the time. Agreed. Love, light phone. If we could get Tim excited about the light phone, we could get a whole lot of people excited too. Okay, so this thing involves some really clever and funny ideas, putting a spotlight on Tim's comments and how they seemingly aligned with your values at the company. I'll put a link to the full clip in the show notes. But you've got these super specific billboards, letters you know, in the form of these full-page layouts in newspapers, pop-up stores and stuff all around the Apple campus, ending with a prompt for him to give you guys a call and have a chat about smartphones. Where did this idea come from to try and recruit Tim Cook? And did Tim ever call? Yeah, so I mean, kind of alluded to the fact that we have a very limited marketing budget and we've, you know, historically relied a lot on our users being kind of advocates of of the phone itself. But in launching the Lightphone 2, we had a little bit of a budget, you know, not enough to advertise to millions of people. So we said, who would be the single handedly one person if we were to advertise to, you know, if we were to just focus on one person who would maybe be the one that could get this, in, you know, at, at a scale. And we saw all these remarks that Tim was making on different interviews about how smartphones were being abused, you know, the iPhone being the, the biggest phone in that market. And, you know, he said, if you're looking at it a thousand times a day, you're probably doing it wrong. And, you know, we shouldn't be slaves to our phone in, in this way. So everything he was saying really resonated with us. And we thought it'd be a fun way to kind of use his words, not necessarily like against him, but like promote uh, towards us and kind of saying like, hey, look, we're doing the things that you're talking about. And in a clever way, you know, obviously, hopefully promote the light phone to people that might catch that campaign. And it was really well received, but no, we never did actually hear from Tim Cook. Or, you know, maybe once he became aware of everything, he did go out and get a light phone. You know, he could be rocking one right now, but for obvious reasons, just doesn't want to admit it. (laughs) Yeah, it's not impossible, I suppose. And now some other people associated with Apple, some ex-Apple folk, who went on to found the company Humane. They recently announced the AI PIN. Now, with this device, in lieu of a screen, it projects information onto the user's hand and comes with an AI voice assistant built in. When I saw this device, it struck me that 
a lot of their messaging is is very similar. You know, getting back to the real world, stepping away from screens and rethinking our relationship with our devices. What's your take? Do you see this as a viable approach to reducing notifications, limiting screen time and spending less time with phones? I mean, I I applaud them or anyone for trying something different and I think the more options we have for types of phones as users, the better off. That's something we've kind of always said at Light, and I, I really do believe it. You know, for so long, phones have just become these big glass rectangles. And whether it's a Samsung or Google or an Apple phone, they're more or less going to have the same features and more or less the same design. But, you know, there's over a billion users, and we all have such different lifestyles and taste and wants and needs from a phone. I mean, you know, how many types of shoes are there or jackets or anything else, but yet we sort of only have this one type of phone. So I, on one hand, just love to see more options come out. And I think they have a couple of really smart things going for them. Obviously, they've built this sort of AI Siri-esque voice assistant that kind of brings a lot of the smarts of the smartphone without the screen. And I think, you know, getting away from the screen is a huge factor in terms of like, you're not going to just be scrolling away with this thing. But whether I personally would want this kind of laser phone, talking wearable phone, it's not necessarily that appealing to me as a user. But I think they are coming from a similar angle to us in terms of reducing the screen time. But ultimately, they're pretty different devices, one being, you know, hyper tech still, and the light phone kind of being much, much more minimal in all regards. But I got to meet some of the team actually last week in San Francisco. And I think it's, you know, it's really cool that they're trying something different. And they're really excited, as am I, to see how it is received. Because obviously, they've been doing their own internal testing for a while. But I think it's going to start hitting the, the actual market soon. So it'll be interesting to see how users respond to such a different interface. I think if you took the form factor of the light phone with the AI capabilities of what Humane is doing, then you'd end up with something like what they used in the movie Her, where they're all walking around with these AI power devices that that actually look like two light phones sandwiched together. Yeah, I haven't seen that movie in a while, but I didn't make the immediate connection, but that really does feel like the movie, the AI pin especially. But in terms of similarities and differences, the two companies may have a similar goal, but it certainly feels like you're both coming to this from very different perspectives. I think like fundamentally what makes us a little bit different of companies is that like Kaiway and I don't have any sort of overly technical advantage. We're not pushing any new technologies and their AI pen does seem to be doing that in a lot of ways where we're not trying to reinvent the wheel. We're just repackaging it and, you know, designing it with an experience in mind rather than like a feature in mind. The experience being going light and, you know, leaving the phone and having it have just enough utility that you're able to have peace of mind. And, you know, it's not going to cause too much friction or the unnecessary friction in your life. With each update to the light phone, I've noticed that friction, at least in terms of, you know, do I take this with me or do I need to reach for another device? That does seem to lessen. And that's something that you and the team at Light need to be commended on. 
because whereas other hardware makers gravitate toward planned obsolescence, you know, here comes the new model, let's get you buying the shiny new device, the Light Phone has almost what I'd call planned appreciation. Through my time owning the phone, I've been, well, just delighted to receive an email every other month announcing the latest software update that brings, you know, improved functionality like speech-to-text, but also optional tools that can be installed. When I first got the phone, I think there was only the alarm, maybe something else, but not long thereafter, there was a calculator, music, directions. That was pretty recently. And you're not expecting something like that from a phone maker, especially so long after that initial purchase, to receive this sort of continued support years later. It's part of what makes light so endearing, and I think I'm not alone in saying that. And hopefully other companies can learn from this approach of fostering a deeper relationship with customers, investing in that connection. Because in doing so, you end up with this passionate user base who is happy to be advocates and recommend the brand to others. Yeah, I would say it's something we're really proud of. It's, you know, kind of not a popular business model for relatively obvious reasons in that we're spending a lot of resources each month in investing in the software so that the platform gets better and better, but we're not making any more money because we're not selling users new phones and these software updates are free for all of our existing users. So, you know, it's not the most appetizing business model for, you know, a VC investor in that regard, but I think it's something we feel really good about. We made this phone We hope it can provide enough value and we charge a price that's able to keep us sustaining as long as we keep selling phones so we can keep improving it for everyone, not just for the people that are buying the newest light phones, you know, today. And there's, you know, other environmental reasons that we feel really good about this as well. Obviously, if everyone gets a new cell phone every single year forever, that's an incredible amount of waste, e-waste. So... On one hand, you know, we'd love to make this phone or any future phone last as long as possible. But, you know, one other side of it is that, like, as a super small player, we, we don't have the resources to even make a new model every single year. But also, like, the light phone, we tried to go into it, future proofing it as much as we could. Like, how can this support? We were thinking directions, even though it took us three years to deliver that from when we first started the Kickstarter finally made the phone, finally started shipping it, and then actually provided directions. But we made sure the GPS was in there because we wanted to grow into it. But, you know, Apple, it's like, yeah, maybe the new camera has three more megapixels, but we don't think that necessarily justifies a whole new model for us. When we make a new model of the light phone, whenever that may be, it's probably going to be much more different in that regard. I'm glad you brought that up. That is something I wanted to mention here, the topic of sustainability, both in terms of the economic and environmental dimensions. If you go feature for feature against an iPhone or other high-end smartphone, then price-wise, that comparison may not stack up. But when you factor in the ongoing support, enhancements to the utility of the light phone over time, and the value of just getting hours of your time back each day, that does go a long way to justify the cost of the device. Then there's the environmental factor, where you'd be likely to hold on to a device for longer if those conditions were met. Back in 
I think it was 2020, the company did author a very lengthy sustainability report. And we'd actually connected over that for a deep dive on amodernremedy.com. By creating such a bespoke device and considering all the components that go into it, the smaller form factor, the e-ink display and everything else, what challenges have you faced in terms of sustainability? And then squaring that against looking to pursue a sustainable business model overall. I'm talking about things like repairability, durability, you know, versus the cost of producing the model at scale. Yeah, I mean, I think during the the engineering process before the phone was actually finalized and produced, we've just always been on the lowest side of resources, like the bare minimum that you really need to pull it off. So I've never felt like we had the luxury to investigate how things could be perhaps further optimized for repairability. Repairability, especially with the iPhone 2, kind of was an afterthought. And going forward with any new models, it's something we're definitely thinking much more about from day one. But we do run into similar limitations of having incredibly small resources to, you know, how do you make something waterproof and repairable? And, you know, these are really hard technical challenges. So we'll have to find our compromises on that spectrum like we always have. And I would say, you know, supply chain wise, our issues tend to be much more around like just being such a small player that when there's a shortage, like there was many times over the pandemic of different parts, we're kind of the last on the totem pole of clients that get priority for some of those things. So we've definitely been in a situation where we can't get a certain component that we need to produce more phones for many months. And when you're relying on that kind of constant selling of phones to keep supporting the whole ecosystem, it can get rather tight. But we've been able to keep our team really small and agile. And therefore, I think, you know, keep doing something in this way and staying as true to that honest business model that we've really aspired to. I imagine that the recent collaboration with Kendrick Lamar probably helped to increase demand as well. Yeah, that was really cool for us to see. I think things had maybe started to feel a little bit stagnant, being that the Light Phone 2 had been out in the world for four years and we've been doing a lot of like optimization and performance upgrades, which are less visible than some of the things like Calendar Tool and these other things. So in some ways to end users, I started to feel like maybe they think we're stuck and like, you know, oh no, is this company not growing as as it once was? And I think that was just a a big momentum, both for existing users, for our team. You know, the morale at the team was so great to see and hear such kind things about the collaboration. And then, yeah, it definitely brought the phone to a whole new audience of people. And, you know, some of them had heard of it. Oh, I think I've heard of that thing, but it definitely was a great kind of co-sign to have this really respected artist kind of, you know, backing us for the right philosophical reasons too. Yeah. How did that come about? It had been a couple of years in the works, but their team, the PG Lang team, I think were interested in making a phone from scratch at one point and sort of started to realize the, the scale that we quickly realized ourselves many years ago and how hard it is to make a phone, even one as simple as ours. But they kind of felt that we were on a mission very similar to what they aspired and that like, you know, our philosophies aligned. We weren't, you know, just 
selling out or doing it in any sort of inauthentic way. Yes, we've seen a few light phone-like devices come and go. I think it's actually telling that your brand and your phones are still going strong after so many years. Actually, I remember a few years back, someone tried cashing in on that former Palm brand. You know, Palm used to make phones way back when and making essentially a mini smartphone. And that thing got absolutely trashed in reviews and it proved you can't just shrink a device down and call it a minimalist phone. You really do have to rethink every aspect of the product's design. And if nothing else, at least the light phone has the logo in the right orientation. That thing looked like it said PLAM on the back of the phone, P-L-A-M, instead of Palm. Yeah, no, that one's funny because that one's like, in my mind, more of a smartphone. And I think of phones like the punked phone. I'm not sure if you've seen that, which aesthetically doesn't look like a light phone because it has a T9 you know, physical keypad, but functionality-wise, I think is more aligned with the light phone, where the punked was, I'm sorry, the Palm was almost like a little smartphone. You could still do YouTube and Instagram, albeit just with a very tiny battery and screen. Yeah, which I don't think would make for a very good user experience. If you're going to commit to making a small device, go the whole way and really consider what that experience will be like for the user on a daily basis. Yeah, exactly. There's a reason the iPhones have gotten enormous, or all smartphones, rather. Today, we've talked about the history of the company and everything that went into the development of your phones from both a hardware and software perspective. But now I want to look toward the future. If we shift our gaze forward, what's next for Light? And when can we get our hands on the Light Phone 3? Yeah, so, you know, we've been really focused the last four years on our software development both adding new features as well as polishing some of the existing features so that the phone can, you know, maybe reach new users who are waiting for something like the calendar tool or, or the likes, but also for our existing users to just make it as easy as possible for them to keep using the phone and not have to fall back to a smartphone ever. And we're also simultaneously thinking of new products. We haven't officially announced a new phone, but we have been exploring one for some time. And, you know, it's still quite a ways away. But I think by the end of 2024, we'd like to have something else out in the market. But our goal with the, uh, you know, an an alternative model, I keep saying, a light phone isn't to actually stop producing the light phone too and stop supporting the light phone too, but to actually create slightly different offering for someone that might want something else from a light phone. Not necessarily reinventing the wheel, it's still going to use as much as possible the existing OS and the tools, but I think trying to be as, we've gone through so much user feedback, you know, things that people love, but also, you know, really have found frustrating with the Light Phone 2, and we've tried our best to address as many of those as possible. And I think one that, you know, kind of brings it full circle is repairability is a huge one going into it in terms of like premium materials much as possible, things like metal. And then I think just across the board, like thinking premium, because I think some people who are replacing their smartphone with a light phone are coming from a $1,500 phone to a $300 light phone. They may be willing to pay more than $300 for a slightly more premium experience. And also, I think we also just want to have a new model just to future-proof it as much as possible. Europe is moving to a standard of USB-C, which we don't currently support. 
So things like that to making sure we have just, you know, the latest and greatest 5G networks in there so that hopefully this new phone could last 10 years. You know, that's kind of a goal I have, a lofty one at it. But things like, can we a user replace the battery on their own without needing to send it to us? But we did just kick off a screen repair program for the Light Phone 2, which we're quite proud of, which we've been able to do in our office in Brooklyn. And that's users sending in existing devices to get repaired. Exactly. And and we do prioritize even like recycling, reusing existing parts whenever we can. So even that program, it's, you know, matching phones and keeping the good parts between different phones as much as possible. And just trying to, you know, really revive as many phones. We, We have broken phones we've collected over the years. And some of them we piece together, and those are maybe phones we donate when we do projects with the school or something like that, who they don't care if there's a couple blemishes on the casing or or something of the likes. That is awesome to hear, that you're not just looking at scaling the company and offering more products, but that making sure future products and even existing products are able to be enjoyed sustainably. Joe, I've loved today's conversation, and I feel like we could have spoke for a whole other hour. But let's bring this one home. I'd like to end with a question that I ask everyone who comes on the show. A question that's about tackling problems and finding solutions to the complex challenges impacting people and the planet. And that question is, what would you say is a modern remedy for the issues we're facing in today's rapidly changing world? I mean, I wish I had a real solution that felt as universal, but I think in an individualistic way, I try my best to consume as little as possible, like to to want less things, to to use things as long as possible. And in a way that like, you know, does sort of align with the ethos of the light phone where we're not showing you ads or showing you vacations you're not taking or cool shoes you could have or all the other FOMO inducing things that you might see on social media or or the news or, you know, any sort of email even advertising. So that's I guess my small little bit is, you know, trying to be content with what I have and not use consumption as means to fill a void I might be feeling to confront it rather. Instead of filling the void with consumption, be content with what you have and confront what you feel is missing. That's a beautiful message and one that I'm not surprised to hear, especially after everything that we've talked about today. Now, where should we send people to learn more about light and the light phone? Yeah, our, our website, the light phone, L-I-G-H-T phone.com is basically our main hub from there. You'll be able to find our store, some of our blog posts, our Instagram pages, and follow along our newsletter. I think that's probably where we share the most exciting updates and whatnot. Joe, thank you so much for your time and sharing the story of the light phone with us today. I love what you and the team are doing and wish you all the best for what sounds like an epic year ahead. My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. All right. Well, that was our interview with Joe Hollier. Getting to share these awesome conversations with changemakers like Joe is an absolute blast. And we really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to check out each episode of New Ways. If you'd like to support the show, one of the easiest, best, and no-cost ways you can do so is by subscribing and following New Ways on whichever platform you're using to listen to the show. By doing so, 
it lets the platforms know that they should share these stories with people who are looking for them, connecting content with the right audience. And, as always, for show notes from today's episode, head over to amodernremedy.com. New Ways is a production of A Modern Remedy, with original music by Simon Zinzowski. Thanks for listening. See you next time.